I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm Guy Barter and welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. It feels like we're getting into the full swing of gardening. Spring is around the corner and the green-fingered across the country are busy bustling outside. So we're packing today's show full of advice for you. I've come out into the vegetable garden here at Wisley to discuss a big feature of tables across the country, tomatoes. As a keen allotment here, I know it is probably about time to start sowing tomatoes. But each year I always find myself asking questions like, what variety should I go for? How is best to plant and protect them? I'm feeling confused already. Thankfully, here to provide some clarity is Lenka Cook, one of the RHS Horticultural Advisors. Hi Lenka. Hello. Here we are in mid-March and I guess it's time to get busy with the tomato job. What are you up to these days? I'm just still browsing the gardening catalogues because just now it's still time to buy some if you haven't got any already. If you've got some, you can start thinking about sowing your seeds now. So from about mid-March to beginning of April, it's really good time to do start doing it. So find yourself a little tray or little pots. It's best to actually sow only a few seeds of each variety because tomato seeds, they germinate really, really well. And you can end up with thousands of seedlings that you haven't got home for. So it's not necessary to sow too many. When you are sowing, so get stuff ready ahead. So fill your trays or your pots with the potting compost. We recommend using peat-free, like Silver Grow General Potting Compost. So fill your trays lightly firm and gently water because you want the compost to be moist but not too wet. Sow your seeds individually, space them a few centimeters apart and cover them with fine sift layer of your potting compost or you can use vermiculite for covering the seed. If you haven't got a propagator, don't despair. You just cover the seed in a plastic bag, sheet of glass or plexiglass and you keep them somewhere warm. Around about 21 degrees. It means if you are comfortable in the room, your seedlings will be happy very as well. Watch your seeds because they will germinate fairly quickly. I would recommend checking them sort of every few days to start with and after just after about four days every day because once they germinated they will start romping away very quickly and you don't want your seedlings to become leggy. So once the seeds have germinated Lenka what's the next step? 
the next step is to move the seeds, the young seedlings, into a slightly cooler place, around about 18 degrees for about so a couple of weeks. So you've got them in a nice, reasonably warm, but not too hot and well-lit environment. What's the kind of things that can go wrong at this stage, Lenka? If the seedlings are kept too hot or if they don't have enough light, they can become very elongated, very leggy. If you've got sort of a conservatory, nice and a windowsill in the kitchen, turn the trays as well. So because just they will very quickly start growing towards light. So just turning the tray so it helps to keep them a little bit more upright. So Lenka, if the seedlings do become a bit leggy, is that all lost? You have to throw them all on the compost heap and start again? You are fortunate with tomatoes because they are more forgiving than perhaps other seedlings. So when it comes to the pricking out, when they form those first true leaves, you can prick them out in the 9 centimeter pots, so the 3-inch pots, filled again with the potting compost. So they make sure just you hold them by the true leaves so you don't damage the stem, but you can actually plant them a bit deeper than they were growing you can actually bury a bit of the stem in the compost and they usually don't complain so lenka you've got your seedlings pricked out now and they're in nine centimeter pots that's three and a half inches in old money how long will they take to grow and how much space do they need give them as much space as you can crowding of the plants can lead to this leggy growth they will grow fairly fast, so you can reduce the temperature to about 15 degrees. So a heated porch or something like that you can consider as well. Water, but don't overwater, and you will not be feeding at this stage. Or it may seem you want to actually stress your little plants a little bit. Commercially, they actually keep them just about alive. So they will encourage production of the first flower trusses, which is the important bit which you are waiting for before you're doing anything else. So Lenka, you obviously grow your tomatoes from seed. What do you think about buying plants in? Because you can buy quite a reasonable range at a moderate price. It's a very good way of growing tomatoes if you just need one or two plants and you are not too eager to try something completely different. Usually the cultivars available as plants, they are the tried and tested and the plants will grow as well as your own. So here we will be at the end of April, early May and you've got tomatoes that are almost ready to plant out. Is there anything special you have to do to prepare the soil? If you are planting in the garden, it's always good to prepare soil by adding organic matter. We are thinking about your homemade garden compost or you can buy manure-based soil conditioners in the plant centres. So dig it in into the top 30 centimetres of the soil and so they keep some for perhaps mulching afterwards as well. Don't put the fertilizer down too early because most of it would just wash away. I would just incorporate into the top couple of inches, five centimeters of the soil, so shortly before thinking about planting them out. If you're planting in the greenhouse, same would be done for the border soil in the glass house. If you are growing in grow bags and pots, so just your life is a little bit easier, you just place it where you want it and you wait for your tomatoes to be ready for planting. 
I don't actually have a greenhouse, but I do like tomatoes. So I grow my tomatoes outside, and I've been trying the many blight-resistant tomatoes that have now been offered by, uh, by seedsmen and plant raisers. My favourite so far is Mountain Magic, that has a beefsteak kind of fruit. It is highly resistant to blight and have a very heavy yield. So as Lenka says, I plant them out in May time. I cover them in fleece to get them off to a good start. Then they can have seven kilograms of fruit on them, so they have a jolly good steak to hold them up. Other good ones, the Crimson Crush, which are a bit more like a an ordinary supermarket kind of six to a pound tomato and also there's some cherry tomatoes now that are, are worth considering like oh happy day and another good one which i've used for a long time is called furline another way around it that i've had a go at is using very early maturing tomatoes so there's one called red alert that produces a massive crop of little cherry tomatoes sometime in july and august it produces a great many tomatoes before the, the blight can get a grip My favourite tomato is called Black Russian or Purple Crim, which is a beefsteak tomato. It is absolutely gorgeous in my view. It's got a juicy flesh and a slightly salty, tangy flavour, but it's so desperately susceptible to blight. There's no way that I can grow it anymore. It might do all right in a dry year, but in a wet year, it's a dead loss. So Lenka, how about you? Have you tried any interesting new varieties? I'm just always trying sort of one different one. So I grow in the greenhouse so I just generally stick to my favorites so the family favorite is uh, sun gold the golden cherry also made the approval another favorite of mine is olivade as the name suggests is an olive shaped tomato it produces really large tomatoes they are great for slicing or the surplus I will freeze just poach them lightly before freezing them just the skin comes off really easily so for the ordinary tomatoes I would grow Shirley because it's the classic tomato so they're very reliable and uh, very good crop they would be my favorites and um, for people who are starting out in tomato growing Lenka what are your top three tips choose what you like (laughs) don't plant too early and look after your plants. <laughs> well, thanks, Lenka. That's really interesting. I'm sure lots of people will grow successful tomatoes this summer. I hope so. Nothing like a freshly picked tomato salad. Lenka makes up just one of the many advisors we have here at the RHS who are always on hand to answer any member's gardening questions. Let's hear some recent ones we've been sent in. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt and I'm here today with James Lawrence and Jenny Bowden, my colleagues from RHS Garden Wisley. Jay Jones from Doncaster. What are the best strawberries to grow in pots on a balcony and how do I go about it? Well, there's lots of strawberry varieties to choose from. James, what do you think? Yes, there are many strawberry varieties. When you do your research on these varieties, a lot of them do say they are suitable for containers. Personally, I've found that some of the varieties that perhaps are a little more drought tolerant can be quite good for containers because containers can be difficult to keep well watered all the time. So there are cultivars such as uh, Hapil, which is better for slightly drier conditions. So in a container, if you miss the occasional water, it shouldn't affect the fruiting as much as some of the other varieties, which may need more of a constant supply. Jenny, I know you love a little French variety. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, I, I like to grow one called Mara Dubois, which is actually a cross between an alpine strawberry and more traditional, larger varieties of red strawberry. And the thing that I like about it is the flavour, which is very aromatic. It's almost perfumed, so it may not be to everybody's taste, but uh, it's certainly to my taste. And I know Lee quite likes it as well. There's one called Charlotte as well, which has also got a similar parentage with that Mara Dubois parent in there, which gives it that scent. It's not the greatest yielding strawberry, but it's got a lovely flavour and it's one that you don't see in the shops. I think that's really quite important. You might really want to grow things that you don't normally see that perhaps a little bit different. On the other hand, if you want reliable varieties, the shops choose or the growers tend to choose certain varieties because they are reliable. So things like El Santa are, are very tasty. Yes, I spotted in our strawberry trial from 2016-17, which resulted in a few award garden merits, that El Santo was one they tried. But actually, Morling Centenary, which is a large fruited variety, had huge commercial success, also got an award of garden merit, as did Florence, which is a, a longer-standing variety. Tim Medhew by email, I've got a lovely lemon tree in a pot for Christmas, but it seems to be have something strange and scaly, perhaps an insect on it. Can you tell me what it is and how to get rid of it and how I might prevent it from spreading to my other houseplants? Well, scaly, that sounds vaguely familiar. What do you think? Well, yes, they are scale insects. Basically, they are insects covered by this kind of scabby scale, so it does make it rather difficult to treat the insect being underneath it. However... It is treatable because in covered conditions like a house, they tend to breed all year round and they go through a stage where they crawl before they settle down and the scale forms over the top of them. So at that point, you can spray with an organic insecticide, which will be based on plant oils or fatty acids, that kind of thing. And that's the only way that you can really zap them when they're still soft enough to be susceptible to being basically drowned in <laughs> in an organic insecticide. Once they trundle around on the plant for a while, they settle down, find somewhere to sit, and then the scale grows over them. And then, of course, nothing's going to permeate through that. Unfortunately, the scale tends to be on the underside of the leaf, on the midrib, on the bottom of the leaf. So all you can do is wipe those off. So you can feel like you're doing a really good job and just get a damp cloth and actually wipe the leaves and get all the bits that you can see and you, it can really make you feel like you've zapped it. Yeah, but, I quite but enjoy, you won't have done. <laughs> I quite enjoy running my thumbnail down the, the midrib because you can kind of flick Ping! them off. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, but they will probably be back. So the thing is, is to actually repeat that treatment probably once every couple of weeks, because then you've got another generation will be coming. But you should be able to break the cycle if you keep going at it. Unfortunately, they do have quite a wide host range. So you do need to be checking your other house plants. But by doing that regular spraying with an organic fatty acid based insecticide you'll probably be able to break it if it's not too well ensconced into the house <laughs> thanks that's all the questions for today but we've got time for some seasonal advice james uh, march is a good time to inspect any ponds that you have maybe remove the netting that you might have had over there from the autumn and winter to stop things falling in 
and it's a good chance to look at any marginal plants in the baskets around your pond edge because this is a good time to divide any overcrowded plants before they come into active growth. And don't forget to use a, a proper aquatic compost which won't release uh, nutrients into the water and cause water quality issues. And my tip is that if you're planning to grow a wildflower meadow, whether it's perennial or annual, you need the ground to be relatively warm and moist. Now, traditionally, we would say this is April, but over the last few years, that has been coming much nearer the mid to end of March and April's been really dry. So if you got them in then, you were having to water a lot. So keep an eye on that weather. And if you're planning to sow wildflower seeds for a meadow, get in that bit earlier and you'll get better success without so much watering. Thanks to Jenny, thanks to James, I'm Lee, and goodbye from all of us. Our advisory team there. You can submit questions yourselves. Email us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Hearing all this great advice has me desperate to get out there and get gardening. Luckily, I have plenty to do in the garden at the moment. After the wind and rain, the place looks a bit of a mess, and I've been spending a lot of time picking stuff up, putting it away, discarding material, gathering up dead leaves and spent plants, and above all, spreading fertiliser. The last of the rain is going to wash the fertiliser down to the plant roots, and I hope it's the last of the rain, and that'll get plants off to a flying start. After being sitting in wet soil all winter, the plant root systems are not going to be in very good condition. So don't overdo it with the fertiliser. A light dressing, usually about 50 to 70 grams per square metre, that's about an ounce and a half to two ounces per square yard, will be ample to get things growing. You can always add more later if necessary, but it's highly likely you won't need to. And of course there are some other important jobs that every gardener should be doing to get ahead this month. Firstly, it's key to protect new spring shoots from slugs. There are many different ways to do that. You can find details from the RHS website. And if you want some excitement in the summer months, get planting those flowering bulbs like gladioli and dahlias. Over time, some plants can get out of control. And now, just before growth starts, is an ideal time to lift and divide overgrown clumps of perennials, such as agapanthus, crocosmias and diorama. Now I know we've left the dark winter months behind, but it's also good to begin to think forward to next winter. It's a great time to cut back dogwoods and willows to give you some colourful winter stems. And finally, it's a very good time to prune evergreen bushes and climbing roses. With all those tasks, it's certainly set to be a busy month in gardens across the country. So what are you doing in your garden this spring? Tell me by tweeting at the underscore RHS and hashtag RHS podcast. For more information on the topics in this episode, you can visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, from me, Guy Barter, it's goodbye. Thanks for listening. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, 
and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the Rhydon sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the Rhydon. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 